term sheet and the sellers came back post-COVID and renegotiated the, the price. And I think that's been pretty, uh, pretty standard. And I don't think an earnout uh, gets you back to a pre-COVID price. That begs the question, why? And, and I think the why is that um, there really is just a, a, a view that um, growth is not going to be large enough to, dem to, to, to justify the, the pre-COVID valuation uh, that, that was out there. And, and uh, no seller just w even wants to be in the, the same universe as, as that pre-COVID uh, valuation. That's uh, my two cents to your great questions, uh, Rick and, and, uh, and others. Um, hey, hey, Louis, I just, yeah. just a, a time check for you. We're on slide three and we've got five more to go. So we should probably uh, pick up the pace. <laughs> Did we cover everything here? Closing conditions and key dates, I think that's important. Brian, you want to take that? Uh, yeah, so closing conditions in a term sheet. Um, this is the opportunity for both sides, particularly the buyer to say, okay, here's what we expect to be in place for us to actually get through all this work, sign up the deal documents and close a deal. Um, and that depends on whether, again, you have a, a transaction that you're anticipating will be a simultaneous sign and close or one where you sign and close later. Because if you sign and close later, your purchase agreement will now have a whole raft of closing conditions. But let's just keep it simple with the term sheet. Um, it could be um, that there's something as simple as, uh, but controversial as a no material you know, adverse effect or a Mac out. Um, so that can be particularly problematic during uh, times like this, uh, COVID-19, right? So, um, it may be that uh, we have to have uh, access to certain types of information or customers, um, technology. We want to test the product. So this could all be part of a, the diligence process, but you might close these out in closing conditions. Um, it could be that um, X percent of the employees have to be in place, uh, and this will kind of make its way into the purchase agreement as well. Um, so it's basically anything that's really critical to the buyer, um, which includes deal approvals, you know, the shareholders have approved, uh, the company's approved, um, and it, sometimes it's what level of approval. Uh, so, you know, think about it from a broad shareholder base where you've got uh, a few hundred shareholders um, and the, the seller wants to make or the buyer wants to make sure that you know, X percent are going to be on board with the transaction because most of those are either employees or um, um, some or have some sort of strategic relationship to the company. Uh, so again, it's it's just the opportunity to say what's important to, to move this forward. Again, from the seller side um, as well, but for the seller side, it's typically a little more straightforward. You have to deliver money uh, at closing. Um, the, the deal has to, um, you know, conclude and the sellers have to get paid. Great point. Um, Natasha, any other changes to the content of the term sheet you want to call out uh, in, in the world of, uh, of COVID or, or tips to share before we, we hit the next slide? Uh, I would say key dates, you just want to know maybe when the proposed closing is and when the diligence period should end so that it's not, you're not having the buyer do diligence forever. Uh, another thing is maybe just uh, a termination for the term sheet itself. So is it at the time of a definitive agreement? Is it mutual agreement? Is it after a certain time period so that you know when this actual term sheet ends? Great point, great point. You wanna hit the next slide, Vitaly? All right, 
Uh, there was some tax treatment and, and uh, fee expenses, confidentiality, those kind of things. We, we kind of hit most of those, yeah? I think we did. All right, let's keep moving. Um, purchase price, cash, stock, other consideration. How's that valued? When is it valued? Um, obviously, there was a big uh, stock deal announced this week with uh, analog devices buying... Um, uh, uh, Maxim in, in, a, in a stock deal. And, and what's always uh, interesting in those is um, what's the value of the stock? How's it valued and when? And is there a caller around it? Is there a, mac, a minimum or a maximum? Um, th th those are always exciting uh, terms to uh, address. Mm -hmm. um, Brian, how do you value non-cash consideration? <laughs> Depends what the <laughs> non-cash consideration is, doesn't it? Uh -huh. yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if, if there is real estate involved in the transaction, um, you, you basically have to um, either get appraisals. So you might have third-party appraisals. You might have market comps. So I'm, again, thinking about the, the sense of, you know, real physical assets. Um, you know, what are the comps? How do you get to evaluation quickly? Is there time between the term sheet and closing to go out and get a third party valuation um, and then adjust how much of the purchase price is being allocated to that asset. So it, it's, um, I don't think there's a, a hard and fast rule because it really can just depends on what is the asset that's being thrown in. It's not cash. Great point. And, and um, Vitaly, are you seeing a lot more assumptions being introduced uh, by buyers into the term sheet about what seller's revenue was or pipeline or, or any other conditions? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain belief level, right? You want, you want to, by default, you want to believe what's being presented to you, but you certainly want to audit those numbers. There are some bad characters, but there are also some mistakes out there. I was going to add, I mean, this is kind of the purchase price and structure in this deal is a very complicated topic all on its own um, that, you know, there are investment banking textbooks about just about this and how to, how to structure this. But keep in mind that if it's a public company buying a private company and it's a big enough transaction to, to really kind of move the needle, and it's done in stock, you know, a lot of times you'll see kind of this interesting phenomenon that as soon as that transaction gets announced, the buyer's stock price goes up, you know, four times the value of that transaction, uh, that the market really puts a lot of stock into that strategy and, and kind of put, you know, kind of reads it a lot into it. So um, one, one area that I'll hint on that we certainly don't have uh, time to cover in depth is um, if you are structuring a stock deal, you want to really think about and get good guidance on, you know, how material will this transaction be to the buyer and what that will do to that, to that stock price. So are you getting stock the day before the transaction, you know, based on that value, uh, the day of the transaction when it gets announced, the average of the next 30 days after that? There's a lot of consideration that goes into how you structure a stock deal. There's a lot of complexity besides just a headline number. Um, I, I'm just going to tell a quick war story back in the last, uh, the Great Recession. It's 2009. Uh, we're representing a public company. Uh, it's just gotten uh, its clock cleaned in patent litigation. Uh, and its stock price goes from 15 bucks to a buck. Uh, we sold at a buck 09, thinking that, uh, you know, we might not make it any further. Uh, but we did it in an all cash deal six months later, pardon me, in an all stock deal six months later, that stock was worth five bucks and something. So five times the amount. And of course, uh, the, the, the selling stockholders were able to ride the, the recovery and, and, 
drive huge returns uh, by accepting stock instead of cash. So I'm, I believe that as the year goes on, we're going to see more of these uh, stock deals where, um, you know, the sellers can can retain some of the the future upside of of the combined uh, company. Um, and finally, uh, I, I think it's absolutely the case that we're seeing assumptions dropped into term sheets uh, uh, about how the purchase price is, is derived and, and how it could change if the, the, those assumptions change. Shall we hit the next slide? Um, Vitaly, you know, what are you seeing buyers doing to protect the purchase price uh, and, and Brian and, and Natasha, how are you seeing sellers respond? If, if you want to start, Vitaly. Well, I mean, buyers want to be confident in what they're buying and, and you know, they're going to be a little bit skeptical, just like, you know, I'll give, uh, I'll give you an example. If you're, if you're buying a house, you're going to want to do some inspections, right? So you're going to put down your deposit, you're going to assume everything's great, but then you're going to send your, your uh, inspectors in there to look at the cracked foundation and this and that and find the, you know, the problems in, in, in the SASA that you're getting. And you have to assume there are going to be some problems always, unless it's like a really super early stage company that, you know, everything you, you can analyze the entire company in two hours. Um, so, you know, you're going to want some protections in there and you're going to want some assurances and you're going to want some firm language if you're the buyer. Um, to basically say, if this and this actually checks out, then everything's great. Otherwise, there will be adjustments, kind of net-net. So I would say generally, that's probably the approach I would take. Yeah, so I, I've been seeing private equity buyers for years uh, uh, throw in uh, auditors uh, into, the, into the sellers to produce for the buyers what's called a quality of earnings report. And it's essentially uh, an mm -hmm. attempt to discredit the seller's numbers uh, and I've seen some sellers anticipate that by delivering to the buyers uh, a quality of earnings report that they've already commissioned from a third party uh, that, that 